So yeah, maybe I could have got one of the minor medals, but I definitely would have lost gold. And for me, I was kind of like, well, you know what? We gave it a shot to win. We didn't give it a shot to medal. We gave it a shot to win. And if I'd left that move, then I would have been like, what if? What if I could have won gold? So I was kind of, I got over it really quickly, actually, because you know what? I went for it. It didn't work out, but I gave myself the best chance to win. From Vertex International, this is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nichol. On today's show, I'm joined by double European record holder, gold medalist and Olympic athlete, Laura Muir. Laura made her debut in senior athletics, representing Great Britain at the 2013 World Championships and is the current British record holder over 1,500 metres. In 2017, she had an incredible year becoming the fastest woman in the world over this distance, taking her first Diamond League world title and winning two gold medals at the European Indoor Athletics Championships, breaking a 32-year-old championship record along the way. So what does any of this have to do with veterinary medicine? Well, not content with taking the athletics world by storm, Laura achieved many of these feats while completing her veterinary undergraduate training at the equally world-beating Glasgow University Vet School. In fact, Muir missed a chance of gold at the 2018 Commonwealth Games, opting instead to focus on passing her veterinary medicine finals. But in August that year, she was back and achieved her greatest honour to date, winning gold in the 1500m European Championships in Berlin, the first British woman to ever win this title. And you thought it was hard to go for that early morning run twice a week. Now a quick word from today's show sponsor. If you're working in practice and clients or colleagues are making you miserable, then I have good news and bad. The bad news is you're probably the source of your problems. The good news is you're also 100% in charge of taking things forward and having a great career. You're missing some skills, but they are not clinical. Enter Thrive. Thrive is a course and support community where you will learn the professional skills needed to build a sustained and successful career. With race-accredited webinars, workbooks, and live monthly mentoring events, you have all the tools to set you up for success. Memberships available for a small monthly fee where you can join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better. Visit vetxinternational.com today, and if you use the promo code PODCAST when you join, you'll receive 10% off the fee. Now back to Laura. For many rising to the very top of their field, ego can become a problem. In Laura's case, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, you get the sense she's the same person today as she was when she first went cross-country running as a child through the frozen fields around her school in Kinross. The interview with Laura was an incredible pleasure and rare insight into the mind of someone who knows what it takes to suffer for her art. Doing a veterinary degree is hard enough, but doing so whilst performing at the highest level as an international athlete boggles the mind. So sit back, or maybe go for a run, and enjoy this, my conversation with the record-breaking flying Scot, Laura Muir. So welcome to another episode of Blunt Dissection. This is a first. This is a first. I'm very excited because this is the first time I've actually recorded an episode of Blunt Dissection in my home city, the place where I was born. And not only that, but at my alma mater uh, here at Glasgow University Vet School. And I'm joined today by a very special guest. We've got Laura Muir. Welcome Hello. to Blunt Dissection. <laughs> Hi, thanks very much for having me. Thank you for coming on. I know I've been haranguing you for some time to come <laughs> on, and this will put an end to uh, the sort of the, the, the downstream haranguing that I've been getting from <laughs> all of the Glasgow graduates who listen to the show and have wanted you on it. So thank you for coming on. I'm going to start, like if anyone that listens to the show always knows that I start with the, the deepest, most profound, incredibly important in questions. And actually, I'm going to start with a listener question that comes from one of my previous guests, Dr. Sheila Robertson, who 
probably need some form of restraining order on you because <laughs> she's such a fan. Um, anyway, Sheila is this, one of the sweetest human beings on the planet. And so I asked for uh, listener questions. And so she said to ask you, and this is going to sound a little weird, but I'm going to back, I'm going to put a backstory to it. She said, when you race, do you wear perfume? And the reason she asked that was because Liz McColgan is quoted as saying she always used to wear perfume for the benefit of the athletes behind her when she oh. was burning them <laughs> off on the track. So that's yeah. Sheila's question. I guess, I don't think perfume is such, like maybe some spray just uh, to control the BO a bit. <laughs> you know, you just, when you're, you know, I guess when you're warming up and especially when we train a lot of warm countries, oh, yeah. you are I sweating when you get to that, that start line. That's before you even raced, but um I- yeah, no, no, I wasn't really thinking of other people, to be fair. No, that's, that's, that's a, it's, a, it's a funny, thank you for that question, <laughs> Sheila. That's, that's ridiculous. Okay, so I, I heard this story, and um, I want to start off with, obviously we're going to cover a lot of ground from your, your veterinary degree into your athletics career, but I actually wanted to ask you about one of the stories I'd heard, um, which was, I think it was 2018, your trip to Birmingham. Oh, the, yeah. The, the trip. <laughs> Tell me about the trip to Birmingham. This, is, this blows my brain, this story. So... Here you're sat up in Glasgow yep. studying and like take the story from there. Tell for anybody who doesn't know, and a lot of our audience are US audience as well. So sure. talk them through this story for me sums up the just craziness of your life and the impressiveness of your career. Uh, but <laughs> talk us through and also the record for the, the biggest taxi bill that I've oh, heard. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're talking March 2018. Yeah. I'm currently in final year. I'm on my, I think it's my small animal rotation. Um, I'm actually on ophthalmology. So I'm seeing George that morning in the small animal hospital. Right. I uh, got a clinic with him. And that evening, I am due to fly down to Birmingham for the World Indoor Championships. Right. So this is a global indoor championship, sort of the biggest competition sort of, of the year for athletics. And um, this is when the, the beast from the, the east <laughs> makes an appearance. It. Yeah, so I'm I'm walking to vet school in the morning, uh, like half eight, and it's getting heavier and heavier. And I'm like trudging through the snow. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I get there, <laughs> George finally makes it because I think he lives out in the sticks somewhere. Um, you know, we see a couple of patients and then literally the vet school's like, right, you need to go home. It's This is getting bad. It's getting worse. Yeah. And then because the weather's so bad, all the flights are cancelled. Right. All the trains are cancelled. Right. And I have the 3,000 3, metres going as a straight final the next day <laughs> on the Thursday evening. And this is a Wednesday. So, yeah, it's, we go by taxi. Right. And so me and a few of the athletes from Glasgow, we, we get a taxi down to Birmingham. We arrive about, I think, 11 o'clock at night. Right. Yeah, I think the taxi costs about fifteen hundred pounds. So I'm glad I wasn't paying for it. I was like, thank goodness for that. But yeah, we you didn't we made split it. A check. You put that to you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'll put that in expenses. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then I raced the next evening, um, less than twenty four hours after I arrived, and won a bronze in the the three k, and then went on to run the fifteen hundred and won it silver. Right, and so yeah, and just that you know, one of many sort of high points in your career. I want to we're going to touch on some of those points, but. I kind of wanted to take it back and in my sort of research for our conversation, I found a, a really, really lovely piece where you'd written a letter to your 12-year-old self and it was mm. published on the World Athletics website. <laughs> and there was a couple of quotes in there that really jumped out to me. And one of them, the first one was, or, or, or you'd written, you run, f- and you're writing to yourself here back then. So you run for the pure love of it and to set your mind free. How did you discover, how did you discover this passion? And 
almost in, inside of that sentence, it feels like there's more. And I'm kind of coming at that from the angle of lots of people in veterinary school, particularly. Yeah. And I feel like this is different now compared to when I was at school. We didn't seem terribly stressed or anxious, or maybe that was just my group of friends who didn't take <laughs> it that seriously at times. But talk to me a bit more about that sort of that sort of quote. And it was sort of, you know, you enjoy the satisfaction of competing a, completing a hard run. Emotions will remain with you throughout your time in sports. So where did you find this love? How did you discover that love of, of running? And, and it shows up in your career. Like, <laughs> I don't know of many athletes that cover so many different disciplines like that's a broad spectrum that you take on and and crush it at so where does that all come from well I guess I started running when I was about 11 12 years old just the end of primary school started doing sort of regional cross-country races and yeah I was I was all right like I I wouldn't win races I wasn't even the fastest in my in my primary school but um I just really really enjoyed it I don't know what it was about it, it was cross country as well, so it's not exactly the most glamorous thing. But I remember um, the cross country yeah. runs with great, not affection, like <laughs> pain. Very, very muddy, very wet, very cold. But I don't know. It was just that feeling of you go out there and I just gave it the best, and just yep. yeah, feeling proud of yourself that you're given something a good shot. And um, yeah, it's quite hard for me to explain just the the enjoyment I get from running. But I guess for me, it's it's running. But for other people, it might be like a musical instrument or some other sport, or cycling or swimming or drawing or painting it's um for me it's like my kind of release where I just I find myself just daydreaming and just not thinking about stuff yeah right yeah. so your just mind goes into neutral and it's just yeah. in in that zone that always feels like a nice place to get I always feel like I get stuck in the two-week hell loop of starting again and then stopping and starting again oh. so it never feels like that <laughs> nice a second quote that you you put in there was and and again I, I just like this it talked about your your patience and as you throw yeah, you show throughout your your seven year period as a vet student, and the fact that it, you know it took you to your early twenties to get to the sort of level where you feel like you ought to be playing. Mm. What I got the sense of reading, doing the back reading, was there's some very very strong values behind you as the person. That's showing up in you know quotes like that. It's showing up in your stance against uh, you know being a clean athlete in mm. in comments that that you you know in a stand you'll make and and speak up for or against or you know athletes who who may or may not be similarly minded what are your values like and where did that come from where's it i sense an inner (laughs) steel laura yeah i think i've just always you know my parents brought me up to just have that kind of integrity and i remember being at school and you know friends would get you know given money if they got an a or or you know if they passed in exams and i was like I don't want money. I want to pass and be successful for the sake of it, you know, for getting that grade. There was never any other ulterior motive behind stuff. Internal thing rather than an external reward thing. I think, yeah, I think my parents always just kind of brought me up to to work as hard as you can and to try and, you know, achieve the best that you can, you know, with that integrity as well. So I guess I'd brought a lot of that studying and that kind of determination and motivation um, through into my running. And that's kind of why I ended up. I guess doing veterinary and running at the same time, but yeah, I think there's quite a lot of similarities be- between the two because a lot, a lot of the two aspects of them require a lot of that kind of dedication. How do you know when you've done a good job? What's your internal, your almost your barometer of like yeah. for when you've done a good job? What does that um, look like and feel like to you? It's quite hard because for my main event, the fifteen hundred. Yeah. Depending, the race can be run very tactically, which means it's not always a fast race. 
So if you look at sprinters, if they run a fast time, then it's kind of a more or less going to be a good race. But for us, quite often they can be slow and tactical, especially in championships. So people look at the times and be like, oh, that was slow, that wasn't a good run. But uh, it's just because the first half of the run, we were, we were all, all jogging. A lot of mind games yeah, going on. Yeah, so it's, I feel just as long as I put myself in the right positions and made the right moves and maybe finished well, depending on the competition as well, kind of who yep. you should be beating and, yep. and things like that. So yeah, 1500 is quite, quite a tough one. But it's funny because I think as soon as I crossed the line, I know it was a good or a bad one. And yeah. so as so my coach does as well, because some people will be on looking and be like, oh, that was a great race. And I'll be like, mm, nah. Internally, you've yeah. just got, you don't need the coach to tell yeah, you. Yeah, like, so you I know when I see him, I'm like, oh, this isn't a good one or this is a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because it's just, you just know yourself if you've, you've given 100% and you've made the right moves and things, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You've touched on something there, which which is the question that everybody asks. Like that's that's the number one question. I'm sure you've been asked it a million <laughs> times. So maybe we can have fewer people ask you this question in future. <laughs> How on earth did you compete at the level you've competed at and do a veterinary degree? You know, I touched on the. You know, I, I speak to a lot of veterinary students all over the world, and. It concerns me how much anxiety and almost mental health distress mm. people seem to be in these days. And I don't know if we were just numb or not paying enough attention or, you know, didn't really have the big picture in our head, but it didn't feel like we had that to contend with. And there's you with an international athletics career on top of that. How on earth did you manage that? There's clearly some strategy or some serious processes in place or you are completely superwoman <laughs> but give us an insight into what that meant and, and how did you do it and what did a day in the life look like for you yeah goodness I look back on it now and I do think how on earth did I do that <laughs> you know I'm just trying to keep the running going now <laughs> and it's um yeah it was it was pretty mental I was very lucky that the university vet school was was hugely supportive so instead of doing over five years I did over seven that was going to be a follow-up so, question yeah was. so that was that was really helpful so I did um first and second year full-time as normal yeah did third year over two years did a slightly extended fourth year so I kind of did like the reset as my first exam kind of thing so I had a bit more time took a gap year after fourth year and then did final year in one go yeah so yeah it was it was um yeah a long, a long process but I think you know after a couple of years me and my coach like looked at it and we're like right if we're wanting these all these massive competitions coming up yep. you know, we had the Rio Olympics coming up we had the London World Championships coming up I mean you it was just going to get harder and harder so we had to try and work out something yep. um, so it might take a bit longer but it was yep. going to be more achievable so and why yeah. was it important to you to uh to do the degree or to to complete the degree that might be that might be the stupidest yeah. question <laughs> in the world in your head but um, I'm curious well for me veterinary always came first I was at high school and you know, I was studying standard grades to get the hires, um, studying the hires to get into advanced hires, to get all the grades to apply to vet school. That was, I guess, like quite a lot of vets, that was the career I wanted to do from a year young age. Yep. So running was always a hobby and something that I enjoyed and yep. just kind of tagged on. Yep. Um, but I guess I was quite a, I don't know, quite a realistic child and very sensible and thought, oh no, elite sports person isn't a, right. a sensible sort of um, thought out career. <laughs> it never even crossed my mind. Well, I wasn't even that good anyway right. to even make it a possibility. So yeah, being a sports person was completely, wasn't even dream phase, you know, until uh, until I got to university and by that time I'd started my, uh, my vet degree already. But yeah, that was, I was hands down completing my vet degree there was nothing getting in the way of that so so what did a day look like you know like I remember what my days looked like in mm. vet school and they were pretty full like there's not a lot of space in there I managed to you know my bad example is playing rugby 
um, for the university, which meant not showing up for parasitology lectures oh. almost at all for the first first <laughs> term of third year and yeah. getting 29% in the exam and getting a pretty stern talking to <laughs> in the head of department's office about getting my class ticket to do the exam. Yeah, And that was a half-assed effort of playing rugby. You're, you're doing international sports at elite level. So what did, you did something different to what I did, right? <laughs> so what, what did a day look like for you? Well, first of all, I did attend all lectures. I think I slept in once, but <laughs> I was See, like, I was ready. advice to start with. Yeah, so I did go to all lectures, but um, I would just, so if I had a double day, so that would be like, say, running in the morning, running in the evening. Yeah. I'd just get up early and run in the morning. And how long, how long would that run be? Um, so typically between 30 and 40 minutes. Yep. So nothing hugely long, but yep. I was fortunate that where I lived next to vet school, I could literally run from the door. Yeah. So that oh, cut so down a lot of time. Right, yeah. So, so I was lucky. Two I birds with one stone. Yeah. So I was lucky I didn't have to like travel to a gym or to a pool or anything. I could just run from the door. Yep. I came back to the house, like quick shower, change breakfast and like 10, 15 minutes out the door. <laughs> yeah. Spend the day at vet school and then I just come back and do my, my evening session or I drive to the to the track um, or go to the gym. So I was lucky the gym was very close to me as well. So I was very fortunate that everything was kind of in a small bubble. Yeah. Did so you that trend down at out. Scotston or something like that? Yeah, that sometimes, yeah, sometimes Scotston. Yeah, I'd use the canal for running along. Yeah. Um, the gym was close by. So I was fortunate. Yeah, everything was kind of on my doorstep. So that took out commuting time, which right. was very valuable, I yes. think. And then as soon as I got back, it would just be kind of eat shower and then just try and catch up on as many notes as possible really <laughs> so yeah what things did you have to sacrifice in order to to do that more or less all social stuff like a lot of social stuff i guess not so much in sort of maybe first year because i was just kind of getting into things right. but as the running got more serious and then the veterinary stepped up yeah yeah, I missed a lot of like friends' birthdays, friends' weddings. Yeah. Just social nights out, as the vet, vets like to, like to have. Yeah, it's once or twice. Yeah, get together. It's just, just loads of loads of things, really. Because kind of my, any spare time I had, I had to study because I had to get the work in somewhere. Right. So, yeah. You, I was kind of going to dive off down a, a different avenue. Let's pull it back. I, I edit all these, these bits out. Oh. Right, so don't worry about that. <laughs> okay, so... Reflecting back on your time here at vet school, I wonder what advice you might have for vet students who are you know, thinking about coming in or in, in the process of going through their degree mm-hmm. as they're undertaking their own studies. What things did you learn that you think would be applicable to others going through this degree? I definitely think have some sort of release, you know, whether that's sport or whether it's art or music. Because as much as it was stressful taking the time away from studying because the whole time I was away from studying I was thinking I should be studying I should be studying and the whole time I was studying I was thinking oh I need to be training I need to be resting so it was a bit of like a a mind battle between the two but I think it definitely did help being able to go out and it just it really does like if you're really stressed and you go out and have a run or do whatever it really does make you feel so much better and I think because of that you're so much more productive so you could just sit and just be like mind numb for a couple of hours. Yep. But if you just go out for a quick, I don't know, 10, 20 minute run, come back in, you feel so much better and you can just like blitz it. Yeah, so I feel like certainly have that, some form of exercise or release in there, I think would really, really help. Even though it's stressful, I know it's stressful taking the time out to do that. And it could be hard, you'd be like, oh, I shouldn't be, you know, not studying. But yep. I think it does help in the long run. Yeah. You've sort of mentioned the sort of mental battle between mm. the two. And this is this may be something I want to touch on in in your athletics career as well. But we all get 
you know the, the negative voice for mm. want of a better phrase that says things like hey you know so the, the voice of anxiety or fear or something like that says when you're doing x you should be doing this and it, you know how do you manage that like how do you manage your own I'm, I'm curious somebody performing at your level how do you manage that thing that's going on there that that all humans seem to suffer from a yeah. little bit or have maybe suffer is the wrong word i guess i just i try and put things into perspective in that I was so, so lucky to be in the position that I was in because I know how competitive veterinary is. You know, so many people want to be a vet and they never get the opportunity or they have to wait year on year to try and get in. And I was very fortunate and, and got in first time and that was, you know, got my dream career on path sort of thing. So I was just so, I guess, appreciative of that opportunity. And then when the running started to progress and then I saw, you know, speaking to other athletes, how they would love to have a GB vest. And I've had like multiple GB vests and I start, you know, winning medals and breaking records. And it's kind of like, wow, this opportunity I've got in running, so many people want that as well. So I was like, I can't let either of these go because it's just such an amazing opportunity to have the two of them. And so many people would love to do. And generally, I, I did love the two as well. They're my, my two passions. So I guess I just thought, you know what, we're going to be a vet. We're going to be a runner. It's going to be hard, but we're going to make it work. This is what, what you want to do. And you're living the dream in the sense that you've got the both. But it's... Uh, yeah, it was it was really really tough and really challenging, but I do think I just put everything to perspective and just thought, you know, this is an amazing opportunity. It's going to be hard, but we're just going to try and do the best job that we can. So. Yep, gratitude sounds like it's done you've done <laughs> you pretty well in that regard. You've remained somewhat. So you've gone into after graduation. Obviously, you've completed that. Going in full time into. I mean, it sounds like you're quite full time in athletics, anyways. But yeah. only like so focused on athletics now. And you've retained some connections to the veterinary industry. I know that you, you've done some work with, you know, appearances at, at events. You're sat here talking to me just now, <laughs> for which I'm very grateful. So have you retained much of a connection there? How, how do you get your fix of animals, I suppose, <laughs> is the question. I know, that's the thing. I know because I'm um, away so much. Like, I'd, I'd love a dog, but I'd, I just can't because I'm away so much. It just wouldn't be fair for it. So Right. What, what, yeah. do, what dog would you Well, get? so I, growing up, I had a Border Collie. So, you, yeah. You would need a Border Collie. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah run with me. So I am a very soft spot for Border Collies. So in the future, at some point, I would I would definitely have a dog. But it's, um yeah, it's just getting the, the timing right. So. But unfortunately, you know, I've got I've got friends and family that that have pets and things, so I can I can go and visit them and get my uh, animals off them. You get back but, into the country uh, and light up all of their Instagrams yeah, and yeah. emails. Like, <laughs> can you bring your pet round? Yeah. I didn't ask, and I, I wanted to just touch on where your, you know, where that sort of love of animals sort of came from. You know, you've discovered running. It sounds like you you know you you done what many of us do and just try out some sports and found something that you you just you had you you found reward in that. Mm. How did you find your way into veterinary medicine? What was your what was your germination <laughs> story? I guess it's kind of the standard. You know, I I got my my first pet rabbit when I was five, and then we got my dog when I was eight. Um, so I kind of grew up you know with animals, and uh, I lived in the country, so I had friends that had horses, friends that had uh, dairy farms and sheep farms. So I go and help, you know, my friends with lambing, looking after the pet lambs and things. And yeah, I guess I just I just loved being around animals, and um, I also had six pet rats as well, I which was cool. Um, not all at one rats time. Are, rats, are, <laughs> rats are cool. But um, yeah, I I loved having them as well. So I think you know whenever we took my dog or my my rats to the to the vet and you know, and they made them better. I was like, as an owner, that just made me feel amazing, you know, mm. that your animal was, was going to be okay. So I guess just having been in the owner position, I kind of felt like that would be amazing to be in the vet position. Yeah, no, I, I was smart enough. I loved animals. It just seemed like a natural fit. Yep. 
Do you think do you think someday when athletics is done, is that something you'll come back to? Or I mean, the way your career's going, you'll you'll be you know like in doing that and racing that for a very long time. I hope. But do you have any any sort of is there any part of you thinks oh you know I wish I'd gone in the exam room and and done that or or do you hear from your your colleagues your your you know your peer group who graduated what sort of feedback are you hearing that they're having out there does does it make you glad because <laughs> you you know you hear people are challenged it's, yeah. it's a difficult difficult job yeah I was lucky you know I live with um three of the girls that are my original year for four years of of, of vet school um so we're all all very close and yeah you know you hear we have like a, a vet chat and. You hear about the lambing, you know, in the middle of the night or the calving in the middle of the night or this this nightmare client and this happened and that happened and you're like, oh my goodness. But at the same time, it's like, oh, you know, you work so hard and you, you feel like, oh, is there something I could have done with it? But it's just, uh, I kind of naively thought, oh, maybe I could do a bit of veterinary bit when, of <laughs> when I when I travel but or when, when I was running, but um, I'm just away so much. Any sort of routine or structures is out the window, so... Yep. um. Yeah, I approached a couple of charities and um, see if we, could, if we could have worked something out. But yep. just my the nature of my timetable and, and my schedule or, or lack of, as it yeah, were, right. just meant it was going to be be really hard. But um, yeah, I'd love to you know be associated with with maybe a couple of charities and help raise awareness in that kind of sense, and maybe try and do more using my profile to try and raise awareness of, of issues if I can't be sort of hands on in a sense. Right. But yeah, hope, I'd love to come back to it at some point. It's just a uh, yeah, I'm just leaving things open, I guess, and yeah, see how things go. The so. stethoscope will always be there. Yeah. yeah the running <laughs> spikes. What did you learn? I'm curious, what did you learn at vet school that helped you with your athletics? And what about the other way around? What did you learn from your athletics that helped you at vet school? I think, it, so vet school, I guess, taught me to be very structured and, and very much a routine, I guess, because, you know, I have so many lectures and I would like to write all the lectures up. So I knew that I had to try and get them done, you know, in certain time frames and, you had to be on time for lectures, you had to be on time for practicals, you had to be prepared for practicals, make sure you had what you needed, look at the notes, read through the notes. So I guess that gave me a lot of kind of structure and routine and kind of made me very organised. I was always quite organised anyway, but I feel like when you're at vet school, you need to be like yeah, super organised. Right. And then, so I guess that kind of went into my running in a sense that, you know, I'd be very good at keeping a routine and, you know, making sure my diet was good, going to the shops and getting the right stuff in terms of travel, making sure I had all my, my kit. So I guess that kind of transferred in that sense. And then I think also kind of the pressure side of things. Like I think both careers are very high pressure environments. So I guess when I've been doing surgery and you're in veterinary and then I'm start, standing on the start line of a race, you're like, Laura, this isn't life and death. You've been in life and death situations. Right. This isn't life and death. Chill out and we'll be fine. It's a race. So I guess that kind of helps me keep a bit of a level head in a race. And then, yeah, with running, I guess, I'm not too sure what running brought to the the vet side of thing. I guess that helped in terms of the stress release mm. and allowed me to do my, my studying and allowed me that kind of place to escape and to free my mind a little bit and think things through clearly as well. Like when I'm on a run, I would think things through and be like, why am I stressed or why am I feeling bad or good about this? And try and work it out. And then when you come back, you know what you've got to do. And yeah, It is a mind-clearing thing, isn't it? Yeah, I often yeah. have my best not ideas but solutions to problems when I'm running. Ideas mm. are usually in the shower or something like that, but <laughs> solutions are yeah, yeah. when I'm running. Mm-hmm. You know, that's super interesting. So I had another question about the letter, and I wondered if you flipped that round, and as a thought exercise, I wondered if you'd ever considered what would the 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 person who is maybe 10 
a decade further on from you today. Yeah. What would that letter say back to you now? Oh, goodness. I don't know. I guess it depends on how the 10 years went. <laughs> what things, I suppose it's another way of asking that is, what things are you working on to improve you just now? Like can make you, give you that breakthrough, give you that edge? I think it's just being consistent. Like I had a run of um, a good few championships and then I've been disrupted by injury a injury, couple of times. Yep. And I've kind of known that if I can stay injury free, I can be in a very, very good place. So I guess it's just being a little bit more attuned to my own body because I'd be quite bad for, you know, something be a little bit tight. But I'd think, that's just a little bit tight. It's fine. And then it gets a little bit tighter and a little right, bit tighter. Right. And it's like, right, okay, as soon as I feel anything, I'm like nipping the bud. Like this is getting sorted. So it's just kind of like being aware of how I'm feeling and is if that, something is, doesn't feel quite right. Yeah. Is that a sort of Scottish thing, do you think? Like we, just, <laughs> we won't say anything, we won't make a fuss yeah, yeah. and suddenly it's a disaster, some dumpster fire's happening yeah. somewhere. I think it definitely takes practice though because there are things that, you know what, you'll be able to run through, it's fine, you're just a bit tired and a bit sore and then there's other things which know that's probably more of a serious issue. So it's being able to m- know your body and know right, this is a good thing or a bad thing. You know, we can push through or we can't. So, I, yeah. I heard, okay, and I can't think of a better person to ask this, and this wasn't on my list of questions, but it just <laughs> popped in my brain. So I read, and I think it was on a triathlon magazine or something like that, that the pain that you must definitely pay attention to is when it's sharp and the dull stuff you can probably run through. Discuss. Um, <laughs> dis- 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 yeah, dissect. I guess I've had, well, I've had dull ones that have gone to sharp. Yeah. So it's kind of, I guess you kind of know as a runner the places that are hotspots that are kind of common. So a lot of runners get the same issues. Um, a lot of sprinters get the same issues. So it's, it's knowing the areas that are kind of hotspots in terms of injury. Um, you know, if it's a random bit on your elbow, it's probably going to be okay. <laughs> uh, if it's just something around your Achilles, maybe it won't be so okay. So, um, yeah, I guess it's just knowing the feeling. Yeah, and having had a few injuries now, I know what they feel like. So now, um, you know, if it happens, if something similar happens about it, right, that's probably this we should stop. So, okay. Yeah. And then just throttle back or move to a non-impact type of training or just say, look, I'm going to take a little time off. Or it depends. Yeah, I guess it depends on when it's at the season. You know, if you're in the middle of a training block, then yeah, you can just get in the pool, you can swim, you can cycle, you can you can aqua jog to keep your fitness up, and then gradually put the running back in. But if you're you know the week out from Olympics, you're probably going to train through you're it. Good. You'll make it through. <laughs> so it's kind of like yeah, what what time of year is it? What are your kind of big goals and time frames? And do you need to be short in the time frames and come back quickly, or have you got a bit more time to do it properly? So yeah. I suppose that that leads nicely into my next question, which was about overcoming obstacles and challenges. And I, I say this having, you know, I think I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of sports, and particularly, you know, we've had some pretty lean times as Scottish sports fans over the mm-hmm. years. So when initially I saw, you know, Andy Murray coming through and watching his career, you know, initially he was built up and built up and then, you know, everybody seemed in the media particularly like it when there's a, you know, there's a fall person mm. almost and there's a problem. And then they said, well, look, there's a ceiling he's got to and he's not going to go further than that. And the gap's too big to Nadal and Federer. And what always struck me about his attitude was that he just found a way he got on and he found a way to improve and, and worked hard at it. And there was that, again, it was that mental toughness or steel but it seemed to embody that sort of growth mindset. It'd have setbacks and just, you know, resurfing his hip and then coming back and playing competitive yeah. tennis just is mind-blowing. Hmm. 
but that same sort of not quite the same journey but i was reminded of that sort of watching your sort of journey as well you know you get everyone's hopes are like yeah, yeah and then and then suddenly you know you you get that european gold and everybody's like completely blown away and and so that same sort of growth journey where they're obviously you know you live this every day and i'm sure there are there are highs and there are lows but i wonder if you can talk us through a couple of setbacks that that were just really big deals how did you mentally overcome those either obstacles perhaps they were ceilings that you just you plateaued as a performance or injuries or other things that occurred to progress past that so you could keep going yeah I guess I can talk about so probably kind of the biggest upsetting result would probably be um, the biggest stage unfortunately was uh, it was Rio Olympics in 2016 so I went in I think I was third ranked on time so more or less kind of be expected to be there there about for a medal and then yeah I was in the final and it came to the bell and there was three of us quite clear and um, with one lap to go but one of the girls had put in a really hard fast lap and that was probably the only tactic that me and my coach hadn't really thought of um you know we were usually very very good we have loads of different plans different scenarios. but that was such an unusual sort of way for someone to do, take the race on and it was about the one thing I probably physically at that point wasn't prepared for so I went with it and uh, the lactic sniper hit yeah. <laughs> and I went from third with, with half a lap to go to seventh yeah. when I crossed the line so that was um yeah that was really really gutting but at the same time you know people were thinking you know I maybe could have scraped a, a bronze if I'd been able to hang in and run this race slightly differently maybe even got a silver but I think if I'd done that and not gone with the move, then, you know, I definitely would have given up on the gold. So, yeah, maybe I could have got one of the minor medals, but I definitely would have lost gold. And for me, I was kind of like, well, you know what, we gave it a shot to win. We didn't give it a shot to medal, we gave it a shot to win. And if I'd left that move, then I would have been like, what if? What if I could have won gold? So I was kind of, I got over it really quickly, actually, because, you know what, I went for it. It didn't work out, but I gave myself the best chance to win. Um, and if I hadn't gone with the move, then I definitely wouldn't have won. So yeah, it was it, that was a really really hard time you know, to lose out potentially on an Olympic medal and how that could have changed things. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was really proud of myself. My my coach was like, yeah, well, you know, you went for it, so you did did everything that I could. I just physically wasn't ready for that sort of race. So yeah. so yeah, that was a big disappointment that I kind of like got over quite quickly in the sense that you know I gave it all I could. And then I've had, yeah, a few injuries that I've disrupted, unfortunately, um, both in World Championship years. So 2017 had a stress fracture going into home World Championships in London. Yeah. And I came fourth by, I think it was like a, a tenth of a second. That would you just come back from that. Yeah. So, so I'd only been back for a couple of months. So for me, that was, you know, it was, it was good performance, but come fourth on a home soil was, that was pretty gutting. And then I had injury again this year tearing my calf just a couple months out from um, another world championships yep. um, but then I came back to run my one of my second second fastest time ever so yeah I've had a, a few rough patches but I think I've I've always been able to spring back from them pretty well so it's just a matter of getting the, the consistency and I think and being physically in the right place. Is there a thought process that goes on in your head that and I, I again I'm just thinking of you know thinking of the veterinary graduates who go out there they encounter tough things mm. like it feels like we are built up and built up and built up as veterinarians, particularly in our school years, like usually excelling in school. Then we go to vet school and it's 
relatively hard to fail at vet school. It's not impossible. <laughs> it's relatively, you know, to the point where you don't come out the other side with your degree. And everybody's kind of rooting for you. And then mm. you meet clients and suddenly they're not necessarily rooting for you. They're, they want you to help their pet, but they don't. Yeah. And what I can see out there is people then struggle with that sort of inner mental battle. And, and you know, they use the phrase Im- imposter syndrome. And mm. I don't like to call it a syndrome because I don't think that's what it is. But, or in all cases. But what's the process? Like, do you, you sit down with your coach and dissect that? How do you get yourself from that, particularly the... You know, the the fourth place sounds like that stung you more. Yeah. How did you move from one emotional state to another? And and what were the emotional states that you try and capture that serve you best? I think it's, for me, I guess, I always have to, I always go back to the fact I just love running for what it is. And so for me, when I have an injury, it's just those little baby steps of getting back running. I think I think it's very easy to forget, you know, how lucky you are to, to run not only fast but pain-free yeah and you take it so much for advantage so when you're injured and you can't even run or when you do start running you're in a bit of pain you're in a bit of discomfort you're like oh I remember when I used to run with no problems at all so I think it's very easy to take that yeah for advantage so for me it's always about just trying to get back just get back to running because that's what you love to do and then I'll think about the competition on the horizon or whatever's coming up and for me it's just getting back into things yeah so you're setting like small near field goals that yeah. align with a, a broader you know a bigger thing in the distance yeah so I guess it's um yeah you know can I um you know walk around without pain today and then can I do maybe a couple of calf raises and everything feels okay is like you know for a little run a slightly longer run can I start to do sessions can I start to wear spikes and it's just all about little little targets I guess little goals because if you want to go right I want to go from here to running amazing that's not going to happen so yeah it's just having those little goals those little things and trying to work towards the big thing rather than look at the big thing and panic and see how not to get there. Right. You know, follow the little steps, yeah. Okay. And I wonder, how do you go about setting your goals? Do you have a do you have a, a goal, like a process? And obviously there's a big goal not that far away in, in yeah. the 2020 Olympics. That one seems quite self-explanatory <laughs> for any athlete yeah. to want to get there. But what's the process of goal setting for you? Do you sit down with a coach? Like, how does that process play out? And associated with that, how do you maintain a motivation? Because particularly, I mean, you train all over the world. Mm. I'm sure you train in some great places, but you also train at altitude. And after watching you run, it looks really painful. Mm. Like you're not leaving anything on the track. No. And that must be a reflection of how you train as well. Do you train beyond what you give in the race? <laughs> or like, or do you, do you just go out and like, how do you maintain that level of motivation to work that hard day after day year after year that's something special there I think it's just uh just a routine I think that's kind of all I've ever known so I think when it just feels like normal to me it, it's not uh yeah I mean it's hard it's hard to do mm. but it's not it's not like um like your mornings you wake up and you're like oh yeah well this morning it was like smashing a dime of rain I was just <laughs> sitting in the car watching like drum off the windscreen and I was like oh so, but I don't know, you just, yeah, it's such a routine. I don't think anything of it. I do train really, really hard, which I think helps me so much in my racing because I think a lot of people, you only train at maybe the 80 or 90% and the race is 100%. But for us in training, we get very close to that 100%. So yeah. when we come into a race and we're feeling that, that pain and that fatigue, that's kind of like normal for us. We're used to it's that. It's nothing new. Yeah, so we can like push through. And I think that that shows in our performances because we're not kind of afraid to really go for it. Yeah. Um, and attack races, yeah. 
Okay, changing tack almost completely away. I read a interesting book. It was, and I, I refer to it frequently, but Matthew Syed's book Bounce. Okay. I don't know if you're aware of that. And he looked at the, he was looking at the, the outstanding athletes. He was a, I think he was an Olympic ping pong player, <laughs> and he had a disaster in the Sydney Olympics, and he was meant to win a medal and had a, you know, poor performance. And he went away and wrote the book, and he, he went away and examined talent and what it takes for success. And one of the things that he challenged, and I, and I actually was just curious as to your opinion on this, was that the global belief that all distance runners, to be a good distance runner, you have to be from, uh, basically from Africa or uh, Ethiopia or Uganda or Kenya or somewhere like that. Mm. And they looked at the actual muscle fiber, and they looked at, and they, they basically thought that that actually probably wasn't true. And a lot of it was just the amount of running that is done. And his book is founded on the the, uh, the hypothesis that talent gets you so far, but it's practice and discipline and, and repetition that actually gets the muscle memory that brings you results. Mm. Do you have a, an opinion on that? Or have you, you know, you're obviously competing in, <laughs> in a sort of middle to, to pretty like 5,000 meters is a, is a long distance event, right? So, yeah. And your nearest competitors are all from, you know, a lot of African nations, but you're up there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have an, op- a, an opinion or a sense on, on that as a hypothesis? Yeah, I guess, you know, there's, there's training camps to, to Kenya, Ethiopia and things. And I've not been myself, but a lot of other runners have been. And the impression that I get is just for those countries that like, running is life. Like that's yeah. everything. And almost literally life. Yeah, so essentially cases, like their biggest celebrities are probably, you know, athletes and runners. Yeah. You know, that is every single kid wants to, wants to be an Olympic champion. So try and make a, a team for for Ethiopia or Kenya is a nightmare for if you're a distance runner. So um, I just feel like it's so ingrained and all of them want to, to do it so much. And I guess it's just, yeah, they all do it from such a young age and they're so conditioned. Um, and living at altitude and things as well, which which we, we, we go to training camps yeah around the world to get that, that altitude benefit. So it, just, it makes that training so much harder. So you work that much harder and you get that much fitter. But yeah, I think it's just a way of life out there. But it's, um, yeah, I'd love to go sort of at some point. I'd, I've not been because uh, the, the terrain doesn't really suit the st- my style of running. But um, yeah, it is kind of like the home of running. So I'd love to go visit at some point. Right. Yeah. Of all the victories you've had to move away from any sort of setbacks and things like that, which one's your favourite? Which one's the most satisfying? And, and, and why was that? Oh, the double in Glasgow was, was nice. I defended my European indoor titles over the 1500 and... 3000 so that was the first time anybody's defended two titles in the the one championship and i think just because it was my only home track where i train and my friends and family were there and and they don't get to really see me race that often because i kind of race around the world so to have all of them there and to have the crowd behind me and be my home track and you know just pop down the road you know 10 minutes it was um that was really special i think yeah that was certainly you know, it wasn't like a, a world championships or anything, but in terms of how much it meant to me, that that was a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine the uh, the atmosphere was absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Was that in the Kelvin <laughs> Hall? Um, the new Emirates Arena, actually. Ah, yeah. Right so it used to be the Kelvin Hall. Yeah. And then we opened a new indoor track. So, so yeah. Mm. If we move on to sort of mentors and and perhaps coaches' influence in your life, who've been the biggest influence in your life? that have sort of taken to the to and really helped you become who you are who were those people and, and what did they do for you 
and a sort of part three to that question, and I'll I'll try and remember there was a part <laughs> three. Sometimes I don't. How do you go about finding coaches or mentors, and and how do you select them? Because I think that's something that yeah. puzzles people sometimes. Well, I think growing up, me and my parents were a big part of it because. Um, even though I wasn't very good uh, at athletics when I was younger, um, you know they would take me to training, yep. you know, three times a week and sit in the car, um, or go to the food shop whilst I was out running and and, t- and take me to all the competitions and things. So they gave me that opportunity, you know, to do something that I really enjoyed, you know, and taught me to to work hard for things and truly really appreciate all the things that I had and yeah, which ultimately saw me study well and get into vet school too. And then since when I joined the university, that's when I switched coach to the, the coach I have now, um, my coach Andy, and he really kind of opened my eyes to kind of the international level of athletics. Before I was just kind of competing in a little kind of Scottish bubble and he started talking about, you know, there's World Junior Championships, there's European Cross Country Championships. I hadn't even heard of half these things. He was a, um, he was a competitive athlete himself, wasn't he? He was yeah, a runner Yeah, also. he used to be an 800 metre runner. Right. Yeah, so, um, so he kind of been an international sort of level before and I think he just saw something in me that, that other people hadn't um, and he, it was a long process you know it took a, a few years but um, yeah he definitely saw that potential in me and that gave me a lot of motivation yep. to try and you know achieve the things that he wanted me to achieve. Did you seek somebody at a different level out? What, what was the moment you thought I'm going to get a new coach and how did you go about finding him? Um, did he find you? Did he see something and go hey it was kind of like a, a natural change, really, yeah, because um, when I moved through to Glasgow, I wasn't going to be able to stay with my coach that I had at home. It was just too far away to commute and, and do things, and I needed to kind of train with a group. So I was fortunate my coach at the time, um, or the coach university, coached the Glasgow University Athletics Club. So it was just quite natural, kind of freshers week. That I was just, handy. Yeah, so I was like, just freshers week, I just thought, oh, I'll join the athletics club, give me some people to train with. I heard the coaches, it's pretty good. And then, yeah, started training with them. And then, yeah, that was when I, I met my coach, Andy, because um, he was coaching all the all the other university students. And then, yeah, from there, I just did all his sessions, all, all his runs, all sorts of conditioning work. And I just saw my performances just, yeah, skyrocketed. Just, I just responded so well to, to his, uh, his his sessions and his, his coaching. Yeah, and it was great. So I guess it was kind of, it wasn't really a planned out process. Right. I just kind of like fell into it. So right. Yeah. And have you have you found other supplementary coaches since and other, you know, hear about nutritionists mm-hmm. or sports psychologists, other people who, like, have you sought other people out for other areas? And really, I'm, I'm sort of interested in how you go about finding the right people to perform at the level you do. Yeah, it, it is really hard because... Um, Every athlete's so unique and will respond yeah. to different things. Um, so I, I have my, my physio cat, um, who's great. So she she travels up from Manchester to come see me. And I have a soft tissue therapist from down south as well. A nutritionist. Yeah, physiologist. So there's all these different components. So they components. sort of referrals from other people, or did you seek them out? Or? Um, so they're, they're all employed by British Athletics. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so once you're in the system, yeah, it's once delivering you're in the system, what you need. Um, it's quite good, but I mean, it doesn't mean you can't use other people yeah. if, if you yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. Um, yeah. there's others that you want to use, but it's fortunate that their levels of expertise are, are great and, you know, they bring people in for their success in different areas. Um, and it served me very well. So what are the two best noddy tips you can give for, or, or the good tips, the pro tips for noddy runners like me to improve a little bit in, oh. in our times? Like. Um, probably like more so like some hit stuff, so high intensity training. Because yep. I think a lot of people you know, go out for a run, which is great, but you just, you're not getting that really hard 
workout and especially when you know you're just strapped for time as well so I'd rather yeah it'd be probably better to do like 20 minutes of really hard sort of interval work rather than you know a 20 minute job so, yeah, so that's dangerous they're like sprinting up the hill <laughs> yeah. to me warm up first and stretch first <laughs> yeah <laughs> now that was a question actually because that, that's that's what we we're always told to warm up first and stretch first and then mm-hmm. I heard that you know don't do that because your muscles are not they're not warm so don't stretch first like, yeah what's the what, put that one to bed for us like um so we we do a combination of both but we would always do say like a mile mile and a half warm-up jog first and then we do quite a lot of like plyometric stuff so like squats and lunges and then we would do stretches so yeah we're warmed up and everything's moving before we start to do stretching yeah yeah <laughs> don't just go straight out there no, and start no. a high kick and lunge at that point <laughs> wonder yeah do, don't don't blame the podcast if you're doing that so you sound like you're you, you know you've that inner sort of motivation to and that love of running that combination just helps you do a lot of things but when you're out on the stage you know and, and there are question marks over the authenticity mm. of some of the results of uh, or the testing processes that are perhaps not as robust as they are you know that uneven playing field that seems to exist across countries which i was very surprised to hear of how much of an impact does that have on you as a you know as somebody who's going out there knowing that potentially you could be competing against people who are who are using banned substances or you know they're they're not being detected now who knows what's going on out there in the world of doping yeah yeah it's, it's a hard one and I think you know a few years ago I was a bit you know down about it and things but I think at the end of the day you, you're never gonna know you never go- the only person you 100% know about is yourself and I know yeah you know I'm, I'm a clean athlete I've got a clear conscience um you know there's no way you're gonna know about anybody else in the start line but I think they win if that takes the enjoyment away from you so I think for me it's always about you just have to compete with yourself you know, as long as I go out there, I train as hard as I can, I race as hard as I can, hopefully, you know, it's good enough to, to get those win, win those races, get on the podium. But if not, you know what, that's, that's all you can do. You can only do the best you can. And yeah, I don't let them win by stealing your enjoyment of the sport in a sense. That's actually a super powerful insight that there's something, mm. there's something deeper inside you. The medals are a product of some other process mm. as much as anything. Is that? A reasonable summation yeah I, I guess because I wasn't really ever successful when I was younger so it's not like I was used to being sort of a, a prodigy youngster winning all these races the enjoyment never came from winning it just came from the, the love of the sport the so um, yeah by not winning it doesn't mean that I'm going to be really sad and not going to the sport anymore obviously I'd love to win every race that'd be amazing but um, I think we all share that yeah yeah but, but no I just I love love the sport for what it is so yeah so wanted to move tack slightly over to something else that I think comes across from you, whether it's fostered, intentional, I suspect it's a very just authentically you. But you you have profile, very big profile, but you're very grounded and you, you always come across very humbly. That thing that keeps coming up here, that gratitude, that just love of running, the reason you're doing it, you know, you feel like you've very much got your feet on the ground when, you know, social media could be blowing up. Social mm-hmm. media is something that I personally feel is a very double-edged sword, that it can be a useful tool, but it also can consume you and you can just, you know, it can be a very toxic place to, to spend time. You, 
embody a lot of the characteristics that don't really go very well with being a social media <laughs> presence. So being humble, yeah. being sort of grounded, being sort of authentically you in social media. What are your thoughts on the use of social media? You know, you obviously do use it, but friend or foe? And I, I ask this for you, but I ask this as well, because I see a lot, again, a lot of people, I think, are living that sort of compare and contrast and mm. compare your your normal life with other people's best bits and just ruining their happiness and making themselves anxious about life. Yeah, it's, yeah, like you said, it is like a double-edged sword. You know, I've had lots of positive experience with social media, some negative things as well. You know, you're always going to have, you can't please everybody. You know, there's always going to be somebody who, you know, is upset or doesn't believe in something or, you know, it's it's always, there's always going to be something asking something or, or saying something not nice. But I think it's just rise above it and be like, you know, what if you met them face to face? I bet they wouldn't say that. But um, yeah, I try on social media to kind of show kind of all aspects of, sort of the running life not not just the races not just like if a race goes well you know I put things up even if a race doesn't go well I'll put things up and me raining running in the mud and the rain and you know hair everywhere and you know it's not glamorous I tried to kind of show that because I think a people a lot of a lot of people do see just you know this amazing sort of perfect picture and they don't realize all the hours and hours and hours and hours of training that's gone behind it or all the the bad things you'll never see the good things so yeah, I tried to kind of give a kind of a big rounded picture, I guess, in a sense of yeah, the ups and the downs, and yeah, hopefully that kind of makes me more relatable in a sense to some yep. people, and they can understand where I come from. Yeah, I was thinking as as you talked there about a photo of one of um, your teammates. I think Ailish McCoggan had posted something. It was a cross country picture, and you basically couldn't. It just looked like the worst Scottish day oh, ever. Oh, I think I've seen that one, and yeah. <laughs> it was almost impossible to recognise anybody, such was the, the the muddiness of the, yeah. the event. How, it's an individual sport. You compete as individuals. Mm. What's it like to be part of Team GB or, you know, perhaps a, a Scottish Commonwealth setup where, you know, your teammates as well, you know, is, it, is there a camaraderie between the, the athletes? How does How does that play out? How do you support each other? Yeah, th- I think there's a really big camaraderie. Yeah, I mean, so I, mean, I know more than endurance runners better than people from other disciplines. But um, yeah, it's not we're not just to get the championships. You know, we go away on altitude camps or, or warm weather training camps. Um, you know, three to four times a year, often for three four weeks at a time. Yeah. So we are literally like living at each other's pockets for <laughs> right. a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, and we'll be on the track at the same time. People go for like Sunday long runs together. So somebody's we'll snoring. You're like, yeah. Can give them an elbow. Yeah, sharing apartments with each other. So yeah, we do need know each other so so well. Like, I probably see more of them than I do of my family, to be honest. So um, yeah, we are very close and you know we help each other out and we support one another so it really is lovely yeah cause i guess athletics is unusual in that it's an individual sport and not necessarily a team sport but at the same time we do feel like a team which is really lovely yeah it's super nice to hear because you sort of see that and you sort of you almost like you'd like to imagine that was yeah. the case it's kind of nice to hear it <laughs> sort of move over to sort of slightly shorter form questions which you know they can be short answers or short and sweet exactly <laughs> Uh, normally I ask, um, what's the thing you do better than anybody else? You're superpower, but that's like the most stupid question to ask <laughs> you in the world ever, isn't it? So let's, let me ask the flip side of that one. What's your kryptonite? Like we're, we, we're, we're pretty clear at this time that, that running really fast is your superpower. What's your kryptonite and how, how do you address that? Oh, goodness. I'm quite bad for like making myself go to bed. 
that is quite a bad one because I think just because like I'm well, so. You make yourself go early, or you just never go to bed. Like... I try. I try really. I have to really make myself go to bed like on time yeah. because I think because I'm just so used to having so much on. You know, like I in vet school, I would just I would work until it got done, and then I go to bed and I'd be so knackered it was easy. But now it's like, you know, you have a free hour or so in the evening. You're like, oh, this is nice. But you're like, no, I need to get to veg, you know. So I think it's just keeping myself in a routine. Do you get life FOMO? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you're kind of like, oh. But yeah, I think it would just be, it's, it's hard, I guess, to give yourself that routine now that I don't have the routine. So I have to kind of force it upon myself, which, which is working. But you just right. have to be quite structured. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is the... The best piece of advice, now it can be a piece of advice you've given somebody or it can be a piece of advice you've received. This is probably the advice that I would give to people. Would just be enjoy what you're doing. I think it's really, really hard to kind of give your 100% or sort of dedicate yourself to something and, and give your best in something if you don't like it, you don't enjoy it, you don't believe in what you're doing. So I think, yeah, just find something that you really enjoy and if you really enjoy it, then you're going to be successful in it because you're going to be able to commit the time to it. That's coming across more than I think anything else we've talked about is you connected with something you just dig doing yeah. so much. You know, I, I'm, I'm just getting a sense you would run regardless. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm going to be one of these crazy people at like 60 still like running around. Do you know the <laughs> Robla Runs guy? The, he's a Liverpool graduate vet who's run across America. He's like the, oh, the veterinary yeah, forest yeah. gump. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah. He's that's a, crazy. Uh-huh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's all. And it, just, it looks like he doesn't shave the whole time he does it. He's just yeah. like, beard just grows and he runs. <laughs> so it'll be you and him just sort of running Cross wherever. <laughs> so... What was the worst piece of advice? And again, it can be either that you've given or you've received. <laughs> um, you don't have to name names of who gave you. I'm but trying it's to think. Do. I don't think I've given anything too bad. Hmm. I don't know, actually. I guess I've been quite always quite sort of, um, I don't know. I know, I know like what I should and shouldn't listen to. So if someone said something that, and I'm like, mm, no, I'm, like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so what, so, okay, so then next, let's subcategorize for me then. So yeah. what, what should you listen to and what shouldn't you listen to? Like, can you give me categories? Oh, I guess, I guess maybe sometimes if I've, um, you know, years and years ago when I'd seen maybe an inexperienced physio or something, mm. or I would be in the gym and someone be trying to correct me on something and they just don't have the context you know, the physio might say, oh, you just take, you know, a few days off. And it's like, mm, that, that can't happen. You know, I need to be training. Or they'd try, someone in the gym would be like, oh, you need to do this. I'm like, no, I've been given this exercise specifically to do this and not that something else. So I guess it's just knowing, being confident in what you know and, and what you've been, what you're set out to do. And not letting other people kind of distract you and pull you away from that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that the, uh, being able to spot good advice from bad advice yeah. is the real trick, isn't yeah. it? Are there any books that have been particularly meaningful or impactful? And, and you know, and again, the, the audience are sort of more veterinary, but perhaps, you know, I, I doubt there's many of us that are going to go around the track as fast as you would. <laughs> but things that have helped you, perhaps in a parallel sense. So... Um, I'm trying to think. I'm not actually... I'm really bad for reading. Like, I didn't... Well, I didn't read at all when I was at vet school, so I didn't have time, and then... I think since finals, I just I just can't stand like. How did you get all the information in your brain at vet school? If oh, you just just, reading? just oh, oh, through s- just through vet books. I mean, oh, I, I didn't, I yeah, didn't right. read like Other, any sort of any um, non-vet things. Yeah. To be yeah. fair, 
you didn't seem like you had a lot of spare no, time for doing that. But I think just from studying so much, I just can't bring myself really to read. To read. Um, Are you kind of an audio so junkie, kind of or like, what do you do for um, downtime or entertainment? No, I'm a bit. I'm a bit of a weirdo in a sense that, like, I don't really listen to music either because I would find it really hard to concentrate on something when I had music going on. So I didn't run with music and I couldn't study with music because that kind of took out all the time. And then, yeah, audiobooks are something I'm, I'm meant to be getting into, actually. Um, that's on my list. But I don't know what I do with myself. I just think I just run from place to place. <laughs> but I'm just like, I need a routine. It's like so bad. I feel like I've done you a favour by just yeah. breaking you out of the mould for a second here. And I'm ever more mm. grateful that you can squeeze it in. Yeah. Do you have any... You know, you, you've got the whole of UK athletics behind you. But um, any, what are your favourite, like tools apps any cool things what's your favorite thing that you've purchased in the last six months hmm this is something new <laughs> i'm trying to think what i'm actually but i'm really boring in a sense as well that i'm a really stingy scot so like <laughs> i try not to like buy stuff it's really I'm funny trying, I'm, i wish i'd not asked that now <laughs> well i did to perpetuate a myth yeah well i did <laughs> I did. I was good, and I saved up, and I bought my own home, which I'm very proud well, that, of. That counts. So, that counts. so yeah. So I was very proud, proud of that. So yeah, I guess just and setting you're up. Still stay in home. Scotland, right? Like this. Yeah, this still stay in Glasgow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was really big for me. But actually, one of the really useful things I bought was a, a massage bed from my from right. my house. Okay, tell me more. Yeah. So it just means that like. See carting these phys- physio beds around. They're really heavy yep. and they're a bit of a nightmare to Okay, this is fly. a whole new thing I need to hear about. <laughs> so start with physio bed and yeah. then come on to massage bed. So um, yeah, it's just like a, a kind of a plinth sort of massage bed that I've set up in my in my house. So it means like the physios and the therapists okay, so they can, can come to me. Yes, yeah, and it's it. just really easy. So I have a room set up. I can get treatment like oh, just from there, so I don't have to travel to. Gave you yeah. A massage for a second there. Oh it's no, like it's like sports massage right. and physio. It's yeah. painful. Getting elbow in. Yeah, and yeah, but it just means you know that you know we have a space. We can be there for as long as we like. We don't. I don't have to travel somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was a really good purchase actually. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's <laughs> cool. Okay, so what's? I say, let me let me ping back. You wrote you wrote the letter to yourself when you're twelve. Would you give yourself any more updated advice? And again, you can go back to, let's say, choose an arbitrary point in time, say, graduation mm. or start of vet school. You can choose. But is there any advice you'd give to your not 12-year-old self, but but perhaps, you know, start of your degree or mid-degree or yeah. any point where you're sort of having a bit of a struggle or embarking on a new project? I guess I'd probably just say you'll be fine. I think it's, you're always, I guess you always worry about, oh, what if this happens and what if that happens and things are going to happen, but... I think it's just, you know what, just keep a level head. Just, like, focus on what you want to do. Focus on your priorities and you'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's the most controversial, and you can choose how you answer this, controversial thing people don't know about you but that matters? Doesn't, don't know about me. Mm. And, 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 you know, I don't want you to throw yourself under a bus here <laughs> or anything like that. Or it can be a funny thing or... yeah. Silly fact. Silly fact. Well, I guess quite a lot of people didn't know that I had um, pet rats and things. So that that tends to like they're like you had what? So that that's quite funny. But um, I guess yeah, I used to do. I used to go. Out, I got halfway to a black belt in karate when I was younger. Which belt is halfway? So I I got to green slash blue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So I think I only had brown and black left. So I I did a bit of karate I guess when I was younger and and um, people kind of wouldn't really think 
I would be someone that kind of get into that kind of right. thing. So yeah, it was good fun while it lasted, but then um, yeah, running just kind of took over. So. There's, a, there's a couple of things you've actually said as we've gone through our conversation. Mm. Uh, that they've actually they've been either you know they're quite stoic things, almost a little bit of sort of you know a, not quite a Buddhist approach, but a very <laughs> it's not it's not as sort of Zen as that. But there's a stoicism. Mm. There's you know there's the ability to move from a position of that on the outside looked like it was quite a crushing thing. The Olympics, mm. for example. Yeah. But you've just taken joy in the fact that I was there, I give it my all, and damn it, that was it's not the result I wanted, but by God, I'm proud of that, and that's cool. Let's move yeah. on and get on to the next thing. Do you have, you know, in your, your sort of background, sort of sports psychology, is, you know, stoicism seems like it's something that's quite popular. Do you have any sort of uh, training or coaching or like how did you cultivate a mindset like that? It's funny because like I didn't really think much about my mindset before until people started like uh, bringing it up and asking about it. And I was talking about it the other week actually and it was just really something that I kind of came across kind of by myself. So after, I think it was after 2014, I'd had like quite a lot of high pressure championships which hadn't gone sort of to plan. So I spoke to a sports psychologist and I only spoke to him a couple of times, but he kind of talked about the the kind of chimp paradox kind of thing. And I know I just didn't really like sit with me very well. I could understand how it would work for some people, but I guess from being like kind of a scientific background, I was just like, oh, I don't know. I just found it hard to kind of... For anyone that doesn't know what that is, can you yeah. just explain a little bit more about about what that was and, and perhaps in the context of how you were having that conversation as well. I guess they're kind of talking about trying to like cage your, your chimps. So it was a while ago when I was about to them, but I guess if, you know, if something's causing you a problem and you're getting stressed about it, to try and cage it and not kind of let it take over was, I think, the, the thing he was uh, trying to say before. But yeah, and it was, I guess it was after I'd had the Commonwealth Games and the Europeans that year, both of which I'd hoped to medal at. Um, Commonwealth Games was the home Commonwealth Games in Glasgow and unfortunately with about 100 metres to go I got tripped so I was I was I probably would have meddled had I not tripped so that was really 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 disheartening and then I took that into the Europeans that was just a couple of weeks later I didn't even make it through to the final and after that I was like oh this this is this isn't great this isn't, this isn't that much fun so I spoke to this guy yeah, a couple of times and I think it kind of more realised what did work for me or didn't work for me rather than what did so I kind of spoke to him about a few things and I was like mm, that doesn't really sit and then I just kind of thought to myself you know what we're just going to enjoy it and by you know by enjoying it then you're more relaxed and the more you're relaxed you are the better you race so it's kind of like a win-win situation and I just took that from there you just go into it enjoy the process be relaxed and ultimately you race better and I just yeah after that took that forward and yeah it's worked really well love the thought that on the start line you're thinking I have been in life or death situations yeah, and this yeah. is just a race <laughs> that's uh, is a brilliant insight mm. so you're more an Instagram sort of person so my last my last question is if you can send an Instagram maybe a picture words whatever certain word limit since <laughs> you're on a time budget but what would the message that you would like to send to anybody that cared to listen what would what would that be? Oh goodness, big question. <laughs> I think just, I guess in the sense, enjoy life because there's going to be loads of things that are out, out with your control. You know, just now things aren't great. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of distractions. 
it's really easy to get caught up in lots of different things and there's only so many things that you can control and you can help with and if you can do your bit then that's great and you know and you'll do your do your little bit but yeah at the same time you you know you need to try and you know, enjoy your life and appreciate what you've got I think um it's always that famous saying you know you don't appreciate something till it's gone so I just try to like every day appreciate everything that I have and all the opportunities I've got and try and make the most of them and enjoy them and um, use those opportunities you know for for better and yeah and just make the most of the opportunities that you have do you spend time actually do you like scheduling in your disciplined way a little time for doing that do you journal or do you just sit and think man this is cool I get to run today and yeah it's raining in Glasgow again. yeah it's raining every day in Glasgow. <laughs> that yeah, takes a lot of appreciation like, I think just from I think it's part of it's maybe from traveling a lot around the world as well yeah. you know being to, I've been to South Africa a lot you know in Rio seeing like the shanty towns and you just see all the different ways of life and how lucky you are so I guess I just try to yeah you know make the most of every opportunity and yeah consider how lucky I am and yeah it's so easy that you know you've been born you know halfway around the world your life could be so much more different so so yeah try and make the most of it. And Tokyo's on the horizon 2020. Yeah. Preparations for that going well. Yeah. On track. Yeah, they're going going really well. Yeah, I'm in like a big a big training block just now. So um we're about to go away to um the Pyrenees to do some altitude training. So so that should be nice. Hopefully it won't snow. But <laughs> um but yes, yeah, so that should be good. But yeah, it's just kinda hard training with a bit of bit of racing ahead of the summer. Brilliant. Yeah. So Laura, if anybody wants to follow you, cheer for you, you know, root for you on social media, um, where are the places on the internet so they can get in touch, uh, show you some love, show you some appreciation, where do you like to interact with your fans? So the best place to get me is probably Twitter or Instagram. So Twitter is at Runs and Instagram is Runs. I think, yeah, I try to keep you updated with everything that I'm doing. Brilliant. Laura, it's been such a pleasure to spend a little time. Thank you so much for spending some time on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. But but thank you for being, you know, not not just an inspiration but a role model to mm. so many people <laughs> here. I know like people in Glasgow and the big Glasgow family are so mega proud of you. And just in the UK and the world over, we're all rooting for you. So good luck with the season. Good luck with the Olympics and um thank you very much for being on the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. Just me again before you jump off. Uh, wasn't that amazing? Laura was fantastic as a guest. And this interview was actually recorded right before COVID hit the world. And so obviously the athletics world just ground to a halt. And the Olympics did not happen. So Laura, good luck to you in the 2021 event. I hope that goes ahead and I hope you do really well. Now, if you're enjoying the show, please tell your friends about this. Share the episode on the social media if you wouldn't mind. And don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. And if you've got any guests you'd like to see on the show, we accept your recommendations for guests here too. Until next time, friends, be safe, be well, and most of all, be happy.